Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick here with another episode of the Thriving Farmer podcast. So today joining me is Simon and Neil, who are coming from Harvey, which used to be called Small Farm Central. Now, Simon grew up on a farm in southwestern Pennsylvania before pursuing a degree in information sciences and technology at Penn State University. After college, Simon helped a western Colorado fruit grower, expand his operation to include vegetable production in a CSA farm share program. The project grew to serve five area farmers markets and 130 member CSA. Combining his passion for agriculture and technology, he started Small Farm Central in 2006, which now has morphed into Harvey. His goal and the goal of Harvey is to help more local farmers become more economically sustainable so they can support their families, take care of their land, treat their employees well, and thrive on their farms and in their lives. So Neil is a farmer and distributor who grew, who ran a cooperative of 30 farms in the Pittsburgh area for 10 years and grew it from about 50,000 in revenue to over $3 million in sales. Um, he's farmed himself on a project for the last couple of years and is now part of the team at Harvey Pittsburgh as a general manager. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, Michael. So, um, Simon, I know a lot of people know you and know your, your background, but give us like a quick overview of uh, what's now known as Harvey from the beginning. Yeah, I, I guess Harvey, Harvey really came out of some of what I was hearing through the farmer connections that we had, especially through uh, Small Firm Central and Member Assembler. And uh, we had like a, we started a little Facebook page of CSA farmers around the country. So I started to hear from farms that they were having trouble finding members, retaining members, and really like creating something that was really sustainable for them, uh, for their farm and, and for their land and for their business. And so I started to think about that. And I was thinking like, if, if we don't, if, if we don't solve this, like our, our farmers aren't going to have a business. And so we aren't going to have a business. And so um, I really had the, the, I think one of the key insights of this was that CSA really wasn't working for consumers and, and customers and members. Um, I, I remember hearing uh, a farm saying that they thought that the, the market was saturated. And then mm. I started to look at some data and I, uh, I, I used some USDA data and some of our own data. And I saw that it was about half a percent of the US, uh, half a percent of US households were CSA members. And I thought to myself, it's like, if we're, if we're tapped out at half a percent, then like something's wrong. We're obviously not mm-hmm. meeting the needs of, of our clients. And so, you know, that, that led to me doing like about a year of customer research and um, eventually became Harvey. Mm-hmm. So, so Simon, talk to me a little bit. You said, you know, you started with member assembler and we use that for a number of years with our, um, our members. And one year I kind of like was like, I'm not using member assembler, went to one of your competitors and literally swore um, for the next year because <laughs> the other one was set up and not friendly for the farmer. It was really friendly for the consumer, but it was so challenging for the farmer to use. But um, talk to us about, you know, what at that point, small farm central was trying to solve for farmers. 
Yeah, I mean, so small firm central. I started that in 2006 after, like you said, after working on a farm. And the very initial thing of that was websites for farms. And I, mm -hmm. I sort of knew that and things have really changed, obviously, in the last 14 years. But that was the original thing. And and uh, my background was in CSA farms. So then Member Assembler came on mm -hmm. a couple years later. So it was sort of this, you know, websites and e-commerce and CSA tools all in one. But I think the difference between one of the core differences maybe between what Harvey does and what Small Firm Central does, certainly Harvey is much more sophisticated. Um, but like, you know, for example, it really comes out of that customer research that I, uh, that I was talking about. One of the things that I found, the number one thing keeping people out of CSA programs was getting things in their box they didn't like or not being able to choose what was in their box. And so that was a core thing from the beginning of Harvey was how do we, how do we help a farm do customized boxes at scale? Because that obviously sounds scary, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that's part of the difference is it was like, it's really the best practices are built right into Harvey. And so that's a really different uh, thing than, than Small Firm Central. Okay, because CSA is always sounds like a great idea until the person signs up and gets their first or second or third uh, delivery and every three deliveries has two heads of lettuce. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So talk to us a little bit too, because I want to dive into CSA because most of our audience is well versed in what CSA is, but I know a few of them are kind of like, okay, so, you know, this whole CSA thing, it sounds good. Talk to us about why people like the CSA model. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I, I, I don't always refer, even refer to what we do at Harvey as, as CSA anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's certainly um, inspired by CSA, but I have to, if I have to call it something, I call it farm share, or I think of it as direct-to-consumer sales. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think CSA in some ways has become sort of a loaded term for me. And one of the things I learned in, in doing some of that research is that most people that I talked to had no idea what a CSA was. And it was sort of this term, like, what does it mean? And so, mm -hmm. um, but I think for, for the farmer, the CSA is, is a great model, right? Because it, um, it's a subscription, in the end, it's basically a subscription business model. So I believe that it is a, a business that you can really grow. I mean, mm -hmm. one thing that we've seen at, at Harvey, we, we do both one-time sales and subscription sales, but we see that 95% of the sales come in through uh, aggregate sales coming through subscriptions because it's just a way more powerful mm -hmm. business model than doing one-off sales. So I, I think for, from a farmer perspective, uh, that's probably the, one of the most powerful things and why it's been such a durable concept. Mm -hmm. And the beauty of the thing for the farmers too is, you know, obviously if they decide to do like a standard CSA aspect, which is the community supported agriculture side, they're obviously trying to get a lot of the money up front and stuff. Um, uh, and you know, that way they don't have to do marketing during the summer, try to sell the product that it's pre-sold, but then obviously there's massive downsides of that model too. Right, Simon? Yeah, obviously like asking people to pay a hundred percent upfront, which was mm -hmm. the original model is really difficult. And, you know, then you're starting over from scratch every year. Oftentimes, uh, we have like an auto renew model within ours. So, you know, uh, that was built into small firm central at one point, but so like you, once someone signs up, they're a member until they cancel, you know, that's one thing that can mm -hmm. be added to a CSA model, which I think is really, uh, helpful, um, but it's not, not most farms aren't doing that even today. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to us about the Harvey model. So you went from, it was the member assembler, but then you moved over to more of the customized box and how does that all work? 
Yeah, so <laughs> that that was like, the question we started to ask is, okay, we know, now we know that that's what consumers want, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, I always tell the story, it's like, if you, it would be the moment where, like, say you get, uh, you don't like kale or whatever, that's always the thing, you get like five pounds of kale with the CSA box, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, whether you like kale or not, but uh, it's even worse if you don't, right? So yeah. say you don't like kale and you get that bunch of kale and every time you open your the, uh, the drawer of your refrigerator, is that from a consumer perspective, you look in there and you see that kale and you're like, I should really just, I should learn to love kale, you know, mm -hmm. I, I should mm -hmm. figure it out. And I should, I just need to find a recipe. And it sits there for three weeks, it turns black, uh, moldy and 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 uh, gross and then they throw it away and i always say that that moment when they throw it away is the moment they're like i'm not going to join again next year right yeah and i think simon even for people that are well suited to eating a lot of vegetables like for myself you know my wife and i this year we actually are getting a csa share because we're moving transitional all this stuff but i was still able to plant some things so i had plenty of squash and cucumbers this year but when our CSA showed up with squash and cucumbers, even though we're incredibly good vegetable eaters, that ended up going to my in-laws, which again, we didn't waste it, it went to my in-laws, but still, if there had been a customized share experience, we could have opted out of those crops. Right, right. Yeah, so you know that, that was a lot of the first year of Harvey is trying to figure out like, how do we, how do we provide a customized share experience? So um, basically people sign up for, like from a consumer's perspective, they sign up for a box size. Uh, like at Harvey Friends Pittsburgh, we have pretty high prices. And I think that's something we should talk about, like average mm. order values. Mm -hmm. We're at 49.79 and 109. Okay, wow. Our, our price yep. points. Um, and so, uh, so, so people sign up for a particular price point. They can get that in a different schedule, either weekly, bi-weekly, or every four weeks is what we offer uh, at Pittsburgh. Although, you know, people can do other things as well. And then... Uh, people can obviously schedule around their vacations or, or whatever they need to do there. Um, and then, but as far as from a customization perspective, then one of the neat things that we do is we uh, allow each member to set preferences of what mm -hmm. they like and what they don't like. So, you know, I don't like beets. So I'm going to set beets as a zero. Uh, I never want to see that in my box. And I'm going to say I love tomatoes or whatever the things I love are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then a, on a weekly basis, I know like farmers when, especially at the beginning, when we started talking about this, got really stressed out and they're like, how, how is this even going to work? You know, how, um, how am I going to figure out what to harvest or whatever? And it actually, you almost do the same thing you do in a CSA. You're still, you're going to do your field walk. You're mm -hmm. going to go out, look at what's out in the field. Uh, and then put that into the system. But then what we do, so you just put aggregate numbers into the system. We call that the harvest estimate. Mm -hmm. And then and then we run an algorithm that matches the harvest estimate against each person's preferences and how much should go in their box and then sort of proposes a best box for each member based on what you have available. A lot of benefits to this, uh, which we could talk about. Uh, but then they can then go in and customize some things if they want, if they want to add on extras. Uh, you know, we have over 100 items a week with Harry Farms Pittsburgh, and a lot of our farms are doing much more of that as well. Um, and then, you know, we provide some tools for how you actually pack boxes. We could talk about that a little mm -hmm. bit as we go along here. Um, yeah, so that's basically how the customization works. Gotcha. Okay, so you had Harvey, you were working with hundreds of farms around the country, and then COVID hit this spring, and you guys started thinking about Harvey Pittsburgh, as you call it. So talk to us about how that, that model changed from what you were previously doing. Yeah, well, it's actually even before COVID. Okay, <laughs> um, so you so, had the idea and it just helped. 
Yeah, I mean, what was happening is um, last fall, so Neil, um, uh, as I said, he ran a farm cooperative here in the Pittsburgh area, and we sort of watched that cooperative go out of business last fall. They um, just had declining sales and just eventually led to them going out of business. And so as they were going out of business, um, I was getting sort of frustrated that we didn't have a really good farm that wanted to run Harvey here in Pittsburgh. Uh-huh. And, um, and I just said, hey, Neil, like we should – we should go and uh and do this and um do home delivery we you know home i was already calling 2020 the year of home delivery Mm -hmm, at the mm -hmm. end of last year and obviously like we should talk about home delivery as well um and and so we should go is that the way you remember it neil yeah i mean it had been this uh, nagging question uh that i think you were tossing around for a while of you know like can we scale up can we do um home delivery. And, uh, and then, uh, we just decided to, to try it out, but you know, January and February, it felt like, uh, a big question mark. It wasn't until March and April hit that it was like, okay, I think we're, we're onto something here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because the challenge that no one in your, in Pittsburgh wanted to do a, a CSA with Harvey and, I think the one thing too is you've got a lot of farmers who love to grow crops. I mean, that's why they farm is they love to grow things. That's myself included, but the farm, the marketing side of it, just like they don't want to go talk to people. They don't want to go uh, spend a whole day delivering around town. And another thing farmers are tend to be challenged at doing and just don't like either is outsourcing. So they don't want to partner with other people. Um, you know, just in our work with farmers every day, we see that. And so what you guys are doing with Harvey, um, Pittsburgh is you guys are buying in from those farms and then going ahead and you're doing the marketing uh, aggregation and distribution. That's right. Yeah. So I think for us and part of the, as we started to explore this last fall was talking to some key farms in the Pittsburgh area that we knew were growing at some kind of scale mm-hmm. and we're looking for new markets. And so we started with two or three or four like really good farms that we knew um could could service this and and wanted to do it so and then they were like you know we essentially what you're saying is like they're like we don't want to do this but you should definitely do it and i'm like you should do it and they're like no and i said okay well fine we have to do it so (laughs) and it worked it's working yeah it's it's i mean we we set a fairly low i think we set a goal of um 250 members when we started and that was pre that was like end of january i think we like sort of first announced it and mm-hmm. then of course COVID hit and um now we have well, i think we're doing about 650 weekly deliveries so that's something like over a thousand members total um mm-hmm. so it's definitely grown way beyond what we thought it would okay and so now talk to us how this works for the farmers you want to talk about that neil Sure. I mean, um, in some ways we are, uh, like, like a wholesale account for the farms, you know, we're in a weekly or more than weekly conversation with them about what's available, what things are looking like and, uh, trying to project out what we think we could use from them. Um, so, you know, really we try and keep it simple for them, but, uh, I think unlike a wholesaler, we're really trying to ask them what's good on the farm right now and what do you have a lot of that you'd like us to either feature or run or what mm-hmm. is better if we just wait until next week to bring it on. So uh, similar to a CSA, we're, we're kind of trying to use the farmer knowledge to really dictate what we're prioritizing and, and making, um, making available. 
And do you try to, before the season even starts, kind of like, uh, you know, not a say contract with them, but more of like, hey, I'd like for you to grow this for me during the season? I would certainly recommend that if we were starting from scratch. Uh, like Simon implied, we were fortunate enough to have enough time spent in this um, marketplace to really know mm. some of the relationships and players that we could trust and, and, and lean on. So we didn't have to get that um you know, technical before we started, but uh, it wouldn't hurt for sure. But, uh, you know, so far we've been able to just rely on the, uh, the known um, players that we're, we're partnering with. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the next level, you know, as we, as we go forward and it was, as, as we've proven that there's a sales channel here, I think like that is something that we're going to be doing more of is talking to farmers and saying, hey, like, for example, uh, one of the main farmers here has now, uh, putting all of their winter production, 10 high tunnels into into production just for Harvey. And they're not yeah. going to have any other uh, sales outlets. They were doing some restaurant sales and farmer's markets before. Maybe they're still doing their farmer's markets. But um, so like we're already seeing that sort of uh, organically happening, if you will. Um, but I think the key thing here, which could get a little confusing, is the way that I saw Harvey Farms Pittsburgh is that not that Harvey wants to go and like own a hundred distribution centers across the country or something, but more as like a model for, <laughs> or I was just asking this question is like, how do we scale up local food? Like, yeah, it, it, it felt like this was what it was, but I just wasn't really seeing it happening. It was really frustrating to me. And so like to do it, to go out and like, just Neil and I were talking, like we spent so much time just on packaging, you know, like how many yeah. conversations we had on, what, what what's the packaging going to look like? And it's simple what we're doing the end, but like there's a lot of trial and error that's gone into that, you know? Uh-huh. And so now we want to take that and give it to other farms that could do this or other distributors who could do this. I mean, that's really the goal going forward. Uh-huh. Okay. So, okay. You got the farms that bring in the product to you, then it delivers to people's homes. Now with the aggregation side of this, um, so you obviously have to have a, an aspect for overhead. The farmer gets more of a wholesale price. And what's your marketing for this look like? Yeah. So uh, as I said, we, we had lots of, um, we had lots of connections in the Pittsburgh area as far as marketing. We got good PR. We got a couple of nice articles, uh, you know, on mm-hmm. public radio in the area. So we, we also uh, brought in a PR firm. We did Facebook advertising, Instagram advertising, um, you know, some email marketing, different things like that. And so, but obviously with COVID-19, um, you know, it's just been very easy. Like we are not limited on sales. We could probably be doing three times what we're doing now, oh, just wow. from a sales perspective. It's, it, and that was what I was worried about at the beginning. Neil remembers uh, me being yep. like, how are we going to find 250 people that want to do yeah. this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's wild. And Simon, yeah. I think the other piece of the marketing, uh, especially now that we're up and running, is our Refer a Friend um, program, which has just been a huge success. You know, nothing like a happy customer to spread the word and um, giving them a little financial incentive to do so has proved to be very effective. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so now you have the lowest cost box is like a $49 box, you said. And what do you say is like the value that's in there? Or if you have, can you figure out a way to actually give it at a retail value? Well, so the way Harvey works is that you're putting in like that's endemic to the system is that you're putting in like a, essentially a retail value uh, to each product. So it's getting about that much retail value in it. We do charge a $6. So the way we do charge a $6 delivery fee uh-huh. on okay. it. Um, and then 
and then we do reduce so and then the the we and we can talk about couriers and how we do that so we actually don't own a vehicle <laughs> for this distribution okay. business amazingly um we contract all of that out to a to a courier company uh, so they charge about nine dollars a delivery um so we build some of that extra that that sort of slot between the nine and the six um, mm -hmm. in, in the share. So they get a little bit less product than, than they pay for. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Delivery. Yep. That makes sense. And uh, do you have a thought of ever doing your own private delivery or is that something where that $9 price point is something you're like, we can't afford to touch this? Yeah. I mean, I think at, at some point, like we just did it as far as a simplicity thing. Yes, and I think absolutely. like if, if people are thinking about home delivery, which probably everyone in your audience that's selling direct to consumer is thinking about that right now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if, as far as like farms or distributors are coming on Harvey, we work with them to find a courier company in their area and can contract with them um, and, and, and find a good deal for them. But, you know, in the end, you probably, I, I tell people if they're asking me about it, just figure it's going to cost you $10 delivery, mm. whether you do it yourself or someone else does it. Mm -hmm. You yeah, might be I've, able to do a bit better, but. Well, I mean, if you're in a very con compact city, it's obviously quicker between them, but the problem with the compact city is traffic. So it's, <laughs> it's almost like the same thing. Um, well, it's certainly a density. It's a density yeah. game, you know, like uh, uh, certainly, you know, and I think we, we will be looking at that over the next couple of years, but for now we're very happy we have a really good relationship with the courier company um and they're doing a great job simon i think it's worth noting too that you know this winter as we were trying to scheme out the model we, we heavily considered uh making it free delivery and kind of just eating that cost or burying that cost somewhere feeling like we were nervous that people might you know have reservations about um adding a delivery cost onto them and i mean i don't know if i can think of one single instance where a person has said I would love this, but that delivery cost really, you know, turns mm -hmm. me off. It's, it's been amazing that that's been a no brainer for people, I think, to, to see the value in that delivery. Well, I think that you now, I mean, this is the beauty of the age we are in is DoorDash and Uber Eats is people now are used to paying for that. So to them, it's just normal. Correct. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and the convenience aspect, and of course the aspect of not having to go to a site where they may have to wear a mask or something like that. So they can stay in their home. Obviously you're bringing something right to their door and, and they're good with vegetables or and other products for the week. So talk to right. us about the range of products you have in the boxes or you have offered on the store. Sure. So, you know, that's an ongoing seasonal, uh, experiment, but, um, we really still want it to be very produce forward, produce heavy, and that's mm -hmm. the focus of the box. And that's kind of what we feature the most in the box. Um, but I think we also, you know, the price points we mentioned sound kind of crazy, even as like a former CSA farmer myself, I never would have thought about charging those kind of numbers yeah. for, for a CSA box. But it's really, I think, you know, like Simon was saying, it's not CSA, it's really grocery. It's like local foods grocery. Mm. Um, and so the, the diversity of foods includes a lot of other staples beyond produce. And so we have uh, a lot of milk and cheese and eggs going out the door, um, staples like bread and honey and syrup, uh, grains, um, and I'm probably forgetting a whole host of, you know, a lot of jarred goods, value added products. Mm -hmm. um, if it can be, you know, grown and preserved or, or made into a food product here, we're, we're happy to use it. Um, mm -hmm. So do you have uh, mushrooms in there? We do. We do have some local mushrooms. Um, so all, all that kind of stuff really changes it from thinking about how much do you pay for your vegetables per week to how much do you pay for your, your groceries. Mm -hmm. The meat as well. Right. There'd be the meat option as well. Oh, wow. So yeah, you've got the, you got the full, 
the full gamut there. Yeah, it's like I was saying, I've been, I've been like talking Neil into, I was like, Neil, can you get me some half and half? I, the only time <laughs> I have to go to the store is to get half and half. And so he got me some half and half. But I'm like, my goal is never to have to go to the grocery store again. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Those organic bananas, I think, is the thing in our <laughs> that, That'll be the one problem, I guess. <laughs> so I, I know back when you were running um, the member assembler part, you wrote a book called Cultivating Customers. What prompted you to write that at that point? Yeah, I just uh, saw that it was in marketing is always a difficult piece of of a farmer's life. I mean, as as you said, uh, a lot of farms are great at growing things, but not that great at telling their story and and getting the word about out about what they do. And if you don't get the word about out about what you do, then um, mm-hmm. all the growing you do is not going to amount to very much. We got to sell what we grow, and you know, I've I've always come from a very um, uh, like a a business forward approach to mm-hmm. uh, running a farm. And in, in fact, like, as I, you know, I grew up on a farm and, um, and went to college for technology and wasn't that interested in farming, but as I got like reinterested in it in college, like for me, it was always, could this be a living? Because I know how hard it is to really take care of your land and, and grow great produce. And it's like, it's not something you can do 10 hours a week, right? It's probably mm-hmm. 80 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I grew up on a farm where my parents were part-time farmers. And so um, that's always been my question from the beginning. And so I feel like I keep trying to answer that question. It's like, can we make uh, raising food in this way economically sustainable? And I just keep asking that question, you know, in more and more complex ways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What do you feel some common mistakes that farmers make when they are trying to market? Well, I think, you know, what, one of the main things about, I've had to think about it less this year because everyone's yeah. sold out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're taking me back to the old days right now. Um, so, well, and I guess my question is, Simon, do you think we're going back to the old days or do you think that this is a new reality? That's the million dollar question. That is the, that there's several million dollars on that question. Um, I, it's, it's, it's so hard to tell. I mean, obviously we're bringing new people into local food that never bought, never bought it Mm -hmm. before. I said, um, you know, when my, uh, my ex mother-in-law texted me and was like, I really want to get a box of that meat from you guys. And she's like a Walmart shopper and, Mm -hmm. you know, always Mm -hmm. looking for the lowest price. I'm like, wow, if she's texting me, something has like (laughs) drastically changed, you know, uh, she's a wonderful woman, but, uh, but I just wouldn't expect that. And so, Uh no, I think Uh some of those people will be a little less sticky for us to keep around. Um, and I guess that that's one of the things I was thinking about a lot in the spring is like in the spring, you could have just put up any, you probably put up a Google doc and like tell people mm-hmm. to buy a whole cow and they're going to do it. Right. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. long-term there will be a, a reversion to the mean here. Um, it's just how, how much, how, how far back do we go? But I, I think we come to a higher level than we were before. I hope. Well, that's, I think absolutely, you know, the hope is that, yeah, more people and with software like what you are working with, then that actually makes it easier. And they say, oh, this isn't that hard. I can actually make this work. Yeah, we're seeing, and that's been really the most fun part about Harvey, and especially like in the middle of um, the shutdowns related to the pandemic and like to be distributing food to people just felt so good and how um the comments that we get from people are just amazing Uh i I think of one where um because it is this magical consumer experience it just it just shows up on your doorstep and neil and the staff uh down at the warehouse they do this beautiful job of like uh, we should talk about how the packaging works but um it's just like folded up like 
beautifully and you open it up mm-hmm. it's like a present and everything's in there and you get your cheese and your coffee and your vegetables and everything looks so beautiful and so people really love it i mean we had one person i know last week who who emailed and said like i'm i'm moving and my first thought was not what dentist or doctor i'm going to use <laughs> but but what what's my harvey share going to be in, in my new area that i'm moving to it's just like wow yes <laughs> <No>? yeah yeah <laughs> well that's awesome all right so talk to us a bit then simon about because you've got the model that works now you're trying to replicate it across the country. So how is that going to work? Yeah, I think I'm just really in the middle of exploring that. And that's the question I've been asking myself all summer is like, wow, this thing's really working well. Like, <laughs> where does it go from here? And I, I think, like I said, I, I want I, I want other people to do this in other areas. And, you know, it, now that we've shown that it can be done, we mm-hmm. want to work with either farmers that are willing to, I mean, the aggregation is really important, right? Because, so here's the problem that all the farms are gonna face when you start talking about home delivery, is it's really logistically challenging. It obviously can be done. We're doing 650 of them a week. It can be Mm -hmm. done, but it's hard, (laughs) okay? It's expensive. And so the problem is, if you're just doing like a $20 CSA box or something of vegetables, and it costs you $10 to get it there, it just doesn't make sense really for you or the or yeah. the customer to do it. And so you need a higher average order value. And so we're getting like a average order value of around $70. That's one of our key things that we're looking at. Okay. Um, so we're getting a $70 average order value. Now, how do you get the $70 average order value is you have all the items that Neil's talking about, mm-hmm. um, you know, hundred items. And then that's difficult, right? To do all the, the, the aggregation and the logistics. And um, it is, it's almost like a completely different business than farming, obviously. It's a distribution business. And so, you know, we were hoping that some farms will be able to take this on. We're hoping that some distribution companies will be able to take this on. Um, and so we're, we're just exploring that right now. And, um, and then a lot of our Harvey farms are also expanding in that, in that area. So they already are using us and now they're like, okay, I'm gonna add on meat and I'm gonna add on this and that. And, you know, we're gonna do home delivery and so. Yeah. So you guys provide like the playbook to set up your own Harvey distribution aspect. Okay, cool. So I know you did mention packaging. Let's talk about that. Cause that is something that actually is something that I know, um, like I, for a while there, when the whole box craze was happening, you know, the, the hello fresh craze, I know you and I talked about this, you know, I, I got a few different ones just to check out like how they did it in the boxes and all that kind of stuff. But there's a lot of thought that goes into that. Yeah. Yeah, there is. Um, yeah. And you'll talk a little bit about that. He did it. He did a lot of the, the footwork on it. Yeah, we did some of the same kind of things you did, Michael, just, you know, tr- testing things out, kind of getting a sense for, for what is working for other companies. Um, and, then, and then also just trying to see how do we control the, the, the cost, you know, and mm-hmm. how do we do this as simply as we can, uh, but professionally as we can at the same time. Um, and, and then, you know, just a lot of trial and error. But, um, and I guess another detail for our situation was like, we literally tried this year out as a pilot. You know, we, we thought that we could be sitting here in, in September and being like, well, that was a fun experiment, but what are we going to do next year? Cause that didn't go anywhere. So, you know, mm-hmm. we, we weren't, we weren't ready to buy uh, plastic totes or mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. that were more of a long-term commitment. So we, we knew from the beginning, we we're going to use cardboard uh, to get, to get this uh, accomplished. And then we just kind of build around that. Um, and so, um, yeah, we just customized a, a cardboard box and, and looked around at different ways to insulate that box and came up with a, a thermal liner, a pretty simple, like kind of bubble liner that okay. um, yep. fits, fits inside there. 
and then searched around for different types of ice packs that we could use and found one that we really liked. It's more of like a nice brick. Okay. Nice and, nice and flat and reusable. And, uh, and then just using a clear plastic liner inside of that, which seals everything that the consumer is getting away from the packaging so that uh, it's, it's just a, you know, a new sterile environment uh-huh. each time. Um, but, you know, our crowd is still the CSA type of crowd to some extent, and they, they, they've been craving to reuse and um, um, return packaging. And so we do reuse packaging and uh, the courier, it provides that service for us and um, our customers love it. And uh-huh. uh, they seem really excited by, because you're talking about these other services, they're one-way services and uh, there's just a lot of waste in the packaging. And, uh-huh. and you know, as much as people hate throwing out kale, they also hate throwing out um, packaging. packaging too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So talk to us a little bit about, does that packaging fold flat for them to return it? Or is it just, uh, they just keep it square in the, like the, the box shape? Yeah, it's, it's, it's still a work in progress. But yeah, the, the couriers encourage everybody to fold both their boxes flat and uh, the liners just kind of, and the ice pack just um, lay on top and mm-hmm. um, they can just sort them out in their trucks. And then we have like a cleaning process we go through when they return and uh, sort them out and go from there. And what is your percentage of returns? Uh, we're tracking that. It seems to be about two thirds. There's always like these fluctuations, uh-huh. um, but it seems about like two thirds is, is, is where um, we find ourselves for most things. Uh-huh. So you'll probably get at least two, if like 2.5 uses for every single. Yeah. Unit. And it seems to be different. Like the cardboard box wears out and we, we do recycle those. Um, you know, even if we do get them back, yeah, they start to wear out, but the ice packs, you know, are, are, um, uh-huh able to be used over and over again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when folks sign up for this, um, obviously you've probably done this once. And so you have to figure out, you know, an ongoing aspect, or maybe you were signing up people over a number of months. What's the process that they go through? I mean, like if they sign up on a Wednesday, when would they get their first delivery? Go ahead, Simon. Um, okay. Let's see how that works. So they basically just, it's a roll, it's a rolling sign. I mean, that's the way Harvey works always is like a rolling sign up as long as mm-hmm. it's open. So they would just get the, I mean, the, the way our schedule works. So Neil actually just sent out, it's Thursday today uh, in the afternoon. So Neil just sent out a, what we call the harvest estimate, right? So the emails just went out to customers um, and then they have about 24 hours to make changes to their box if they want to, or put it on hold if they want to, whatever. So they'd have until tomorrow noon. And then tomorrow noon time, Neil will uh, pull that and basically send the harvest list to the farms. They harvest over the weekend. We receive on Monday and then we deliver on Tuesday and Wednesday. Point being by now on Thursday, sign up is locked for next week. Mm-hmm. So like, uh, well, although we can do one-time orders as well in the meantime, but anyway, so they would either get like the next week or like two weeks from now, depending okay. on when they sign up. So when does the, uh, I, I missed that part. When does the farmers get the, the order list from you? In this case, it's about, uh, two days before receiving. So okay. on like a Friday, Friday noon, and then we want it, uh, at, at, the, at our distribution center by the end of the day on Monday. Okay. So probably most are harvesting on like Sunday or Monday. Yeah, and then we're starting a second ordering period now to make it more complicated, but um, <laughs> uh, but yeah. Okay, very cool. So that, that, that gives them enough time, usually. That, that makes sense. I'm just thinking from a farmer's perspective, trying to think of that all through. Well, and Michael, I would say, you know, especially as our first year, we really went to the farmers and said, what works for you? We kind of worked backwards from them uh-huh. and said, you know, we need this to fit into your schedule as well. And so a lot of our 
weekly routine came from uh, farmers telling us what worked from them. And probably too, I mean, the price is some guesstimate with them too. So if like you're ordering, let's say, uh, topped orange carrots, you probably have a pretty much good estimate of what you're using every single week. So they could just pull that out of inventory. Yeah. And in fact, today, when I put the list out to the customers, uh, Harvey automatically can generate a pick list as is. Uh, mm. So I can send the farmers a rough draft of their mm. orders today. And then I just update that when the period closes. Uh, oh, that's super edits. nice. So yeah, they yeah. do get a, a heads up. Yeah. I mean, the, the key is that everything is pre-ordered, right? So we have um, we have very little shrink in this. Um, I think, you know, you probably order a little bit extra from the farms each week just for Random. Yeah, you know, a couple percent of extra just for uh, unexpected damage, et cetera, but it's, it's very small. Gotcha. So for you know, a thousand pounds of carrots you need, you ordered a thousand fifty or something. Exactly. Yeah. Gotcha. So how is rolling out this? Is this like something you're hoping to roll out over the winter then? Did this, this the regional model? Uh, we're already doing it. We're, we're in conversations with a farm that uh, that's using us already in Long Island, but looking for expansion. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, we takes about six weeks at least, you know, to, <laughs> to get yeah. everything rolling. And for, so for the most part, it'll be going into the, the next growing season, depending on what the growing season is, where people are um, that will be looking to do it. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Have you had any pushback from farmers who say that this is going to, you know, I guess change things too much? Yeah, I mean, I think it it can ruffle some feathers, uh, you know, in, in some cases, I think when, when we, to be honest, when we did this in Pittsburgh, I think there are some farms that felt a little threatened by, by what mm. we did here. Um, but I think that we've shown that there's like a much, the thing is, there's a much, much bigger market for local food than we think there is. It's not a half a percent. Hopefully mm -hmm. it's five to 10%, you know? And so that's always been what Harvey's been about is expanding the local market uh, for, for, for local food. And this year's a, you know, anomalous year. So it's hard mm -hmm. to tell. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that the farms that sell to us, you know, I mean, the, the thing is, I think, when I think about it, it's like the smallest farms are going to have trouble with a model like Harvey, uh, uh, like this Harvey distribution model, because, yeah. you know, essentially what, uh, what we're looking at and when, and when we're coaching distributors that are, that are looking to do this is about, uh, 50 to 60% of the, uh, of the retail prices going back to the farm basically. So okay. that's the cost of goods sold number. So essentially we're, going to take the farm's wholesale price and we're going to double it. And, and in the doubling there is where the operations budget comes out of. And we could talk a little bit about that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the, the, what that pays for the warehouse, that pays for the boxes, that pays for meal, that pays for all the employees, that pays for the, um, mm -hmm. you know, the marketing and for the software. And so, um, so the smallest farms are going to have trouble producing at a price. that's going to make sense at a retail price yeah. uh, for that. But the smallest farms are probably more geared towards doing their own home delivery, uh, cut very customized, or a farmer's market. They, the smallest farms, uh, CSA is not a great fit for them usually. Yeah. So they, yeah, the smallest farms need to get the full retail value. But for the farms that can produce at some amount of scale, or, you know, I think as I've talked to some other distributors that are a little farther along in this, um, where, where, where I think we can help some of the smaller, like the smallest farms is we can go to them and say, you know, Hey, can you grow an acre of 
garlic for us. And this uh-huh. is the price that we can pay. And, and we can, we can buy that whole acre of garlic. Mm-hmm. Um, Guaranteed. For example, uh, that like that starts to be attractive. I think maybe for some of the like smallest farmers, but like, I think the farmers that are like at more of mid scale, they sell to some wholesale accounts. I mean, they're, they're really the ones that um, uh-huh. are going to be those key farmers in, in these arrangements. Does that make sense to you, Neil? Yeah, entirely. Although I also think about the fact that, you know, among our producers that we work with, some of them are very small and they're just specialized. And, and I, I guess I think of our, we start with the cut flower grower, who's actually an urban farmer in Pittsburgh. Uh, but it happens to be a good fit for her and she can, she can, you know, sell something that's flexible, uh, whatever she's not selling at her markets, she can offer to us and it's, you know, it's close by. Mm. And, and so she can handle that. And so, um, there's a, a tea, a tea farm that we got some dried tea from, it's, you know, very specialized, small farm, um, things like that, that it, you don't have to be large. You just like Simon said, you just have to find the right product. Okay. Because you can vary in the software, how much product is available from that person. Exactly. So you can almost like take overages. So they say, oh my gosh, this week we're gonna have 30 extra bouquets. You can just kick 30 bouquets in there and the first 30 people that order it and people that have preference for that, the software is just gonna kick it into their share. Yeah, I think that always kind of shocks farmers and they're like, they'll start, stop telling me about something. Like, no, no, I wanna still hear about it. I don't need 650 of these to, you know, to make yeah. it useful to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah, I mean, actually for me, I'm a very, very small farmer. Um, and all we did actually was uh, winter squash. That was all we planted this year. We did about mm-hmm. a half acre of that. And that's actually going to two CSA farms that we've mm-hmm. contracted with. Um, and again, it's just because I can't get myself out of growing things. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, but yeah, it's actually looking really good. And the beauty of that is, again, and I think a lot of people looked at the CSA model and loved the CSA model, um, but there is some inherent problems is that a small farm, I'd say under five acres, it's tough for them to grow the 40 or 50 crops. Yes, you can grow it, but it's tough to grow them incredibly well. And I, I learned this when I was uh, talking to, I'm trying to remember his first name at Featherstone Farm. Is it Jack at Featherstone Farm? Yeah, it's Jack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, Jack and I, we were touring his farm, looking at his greenhouses and stuff. And, and they were talking about the crop of carrots that was in there. And we we're like, oh my gosh, you make a lot more money with winter greens or something. And, and we got talking about how they've got that farm set up is that they had a wholesale manager whose job was literally to care for five crops. And then they had someone else who at that time was responsible for the other 35. Because what they said is those five crops, if you can focus so closely on doing them well, you pretty much can double your yield, or at least it's a, it's a massive yield jump, and that's what really makes you competitive with those crops. And so if farmers can really focus on growing what they're best at and what they can really focus on doing well, five or six crops, they can afford to sell them for a lot cheaper, especially in a Harvey model that knows that's going to buy it because they're getting better yields. They're spending a lot less time because your economies of scale now for that. And you can cater the fertilizer and the water directly to those crops instead of trying to treat all 40 or 50 crops and many different families with just like a one broad stroke. Right. I think we're starting to see like a bifurcation in the farms that, that work with Harvey. Like there's some farms that like one of our main farmers actually used Harvey for the first couple of years, but then they stopped using it because like they were too busy farming. Right. And Mm -hmm. so I think what we're going to see is some farms that like transition into 
almost becoming a distribution business like this farm in Long Island that's mm-hmm. uh, going to do distribution uh, for us there. You know, they, they know all the local farmers and, and they don't want to grow as many things. And so they're going to go that way. And some of these other farms are going to specialize, uh, you know, more in, in the growing piece and not so much the marketing and distribution and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So I could see that starting to happen already. So do you help when you start to work with these partnerships, do you do some research on the marketplace before you just dive in? Yeah, right. Right now, it's just we're just having conversations with people, yeah. and and I mean we're not. Uh, you know, there's certain markets that I think that we would be really good in, or you know, I, I think um, you know there certainly has to be some kind of. We're thinking there has to be some kind of like urban, you know, urban yeah. center there uh, to to get that density of deliveries and enough farms. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, like right here in our local Dayton, Cincinnati area, I know there are several already distribution companies. I think one is called like uh, Green Bean or Market Wagon or something. Yeah. So maybe actually two of them. And so it's always wondering to see like, would a third one fit? But I think too, it's like, what is that third model or what that what your model is different than everyone else? And um, I think the the software side of things can make a big difference. Yeah, it's software and marketing. I mean, I think one of the things that I've thought about really clearly, maybe, you know, especially with the book I wrote on marketing is that if you're going to sell direct to consumer, you need to have a marketing budget. And that's like, that's part of the Harvey Farms Pittsburgh model, this Harvey Mm -hmm. Farms local model, is that uh, we basically took 10% of the gross of the company and said, we are going to spend that on on marketing. Of course, (laughs) we really haven't needed to that much this year. But I think for long term sustainability, that Mm -hmm. having a marketing budget is really important. And like, for most farms, they haven't had a marketing budget at all. And I don't really blame them because we don't really understand how to spend marketing mm-hmm. dollars in a, in a sustainable manner. But like, that's mm-hmm. what we're doing here uh, at Harvey is that we, we we're you know, building a growth marketing team here that can bring customers uh, to the distributors. I mean, I think that's a really important part of that, mm-hmm. that model. If we can find someone who can do the distribution, we can provide the sort of software, the consultation and the customers to them. Um, so that, that's our model. Mm-hmm. And what they focus on is they focus on the networking and connections with the local farmers to fill those baskets. Sure. And like what Neil's doing, it's just like endless details. I'm sure he could tell you three stories from this week of like, you know, some problem that went wrong with the distribution, the the zucchini came in too small, and then we didn't have enough of them, or they miscounted the boxes, or you know, <laughs> so it's just like, it's just endless details, you know? So. Yeah. <laughs> well, too, I think if you have new farmers you're working with, as a lot of these new farmers don't understand the standards out there. And so, you know, it's part of it, I think, is sure of an education of, okay, so this is what the actual standard standard is for this product or, you know, how you would actually package it or how you cool it to make sure it arrives to the correct temperature and that sort of thing. Yeah. Neil has a lot of experience with that over, <laughs> over the years <laughs> with this cooperative and everything. I don't know if you have anything on that, Neil. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I guess what's actually running through my mind at the moment is just about our customer base and the, you know, the unique relationship uh, that Harvey and, and CSA farmers and, and local food uh, providers in general, I think, have experienced in one way or the other. But um, I was just thinking how, like, you know, you could say that technology is, is um, taking some of the farmer out of the center of the picture or something like that, or like maybe it's, uh, you know, more mechanized or, or just technical. But at the same time, I feel like it's also very human. Uh, I feel like the interactions we end up having with our customer bases are the expectation from them is that they're working with humans to do something uh-huh. that's very authentic. And so when things don't go wrong, uh, my, my assistant manager actually has a background in grocery and, and he keeps 
shaking his head. Every time something goes wrong for us, we have an interaction with a customer. Often that, that um, interaction ends up being such a human experience of like, Hey, we get it. We're on your side. You're working hard and we're here for you. And like, we just appreciate what you're doing. Whereas, you know, in a retail, traditional retail, it's like, I want what I got paid or I want to, you know, yeah. get what I paid for. And if it doesn't go right, uh, I'm automatically frustrated. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah. I feel like Harvey actually still provides some tools for it to be a very human experience uh, that, that our customer satisfaction. I, I just, I still shake my head too. I just can't believe how um, generous our customer base is to be uh, on board with what we're doing. Yeah. It's the, the click list horror stories. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, my wife was on hold with them for like multiple hours. And if you don't keep the web browser open on your phone, then you lose them. And she was <laughs> so frustrated with that. So <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, Simon and Neil, what would you leave us with? Um, you know, it's sound, it's really, I wanted to catch up today because I know that you've done some very interesting things the last couple of years, really kind of trying to revolutionize, you know, what that customized box system looks like. And now you've moved to a totally new direction. That's why I wanted to bring you on and talk about that. I guess, what would you say to the small farmer, which still feels like they're struggling with, with growing their farm? <laughs> Everything, Neil. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's not going to be a one size fits all for, for anybody. That's, that's what we all are aware of. And we're just trying to create a different model that that's going to help at least a, a section or a segment of the, of the small farm population um, to, to thrive and, and uh, dare I say pivot this year. Um, and it's not going to fit for everybody, but I do think like someone's saying that what we're really doing is turning people who were either um, on the fence or not even realizing the choice they had and just making it so convenient and easy for them to, to support local farms that uh-huh. uh, the number of people at the table is just so much bigger that I think you know, small farms um, are gonna indirectly, if not directly benefit from, from this um, broadening of the customer base as well. Right, yeah, I think one thing that I thought, think about is with, with Harvey specifically, um, it's like I wanted to take away every every possible reason someone could say no to buying mm. local food. I wanted to take that away from them. It's like, it's too hard. Okay, we'll deliver it to your house. Uh, I want milk, you know. Okay, we'll figure out how to do that, you know. So I think that yeah. um, we've, I, I think there can be like a little bit of a pushback in the in the sort of small farm community against like that piece, like that, like really being customer friendly or they feel like it's getting away from some ideal. But I think like the experiences that we have with, with customers are really magical. Like he's saying, and that, that, that Neil's saying, and so you make this easier for people, they mm-hmm. buy it and then they support us to grow more and we want to grow more small farms and, and we want mm-hmm. to make this, uh, they really want to support people too, uh, support farms too. And they understand that. And so, um, you know, certainly it's not a one size fits all, not for everyone. Um, but, but we think it is a model that, that, that local food can be scaled. And, and I think, you know, we have to we have to scale up a little bit to to get the that next level as a as a community mm-hmm. well i think yeah we have to keep scaling because in order for us to get the infrastructure technology um, the resources to support the small farm system, there has to be a certain number of us. Because I mean, one of the things we work on is we work closely with Johnny's on some of their tool development. And, you know, one of the things that we throw back and forth is, well, is there a big enough market to actually bring this to market? And, you know, they're a company and their goal is to make money. So if there isn't, then some of these things just get, you know, left in the prototype stage or end up just not with the level of machining that could happen around them. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, we need more farms. 
I think that's the, the that's the takeaway message. <laughs> and you guys are working your hardest to figure out how to get more local food sold so more farms can be supported. Definitely. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Neil and Simon, thank you so much for your time today. Appreciate it. And uh, yeah, love what you guys are doing. Okay. Thanks, Michael. Have a good one. So there you have it. Another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.